Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Good morning. Amen. Great to be together in the house of the Lord. And um, as Moira rightly said, God is doing a tremendous work in our hearts and has been over the past few Sundays. Deep, deep issues within the heart. And for my own life, uh, a love, I believe God has unearthed or unlocked, unstopped. And I recognize it's a sovereign working of God. Amen. A sovereign doing of the Lord. Amen. And I want to encourage you, we're dealing with the issue of grace, and I probably want to deal with this particular facet uh, in the segment. The facet is an open heart of love for grace to flow. And we're dealing specifically with grace dispensed from open hearts in fathers to open hearts in, in sons. And I want to encourage you that, as we've said repetitively within the series, the grace of God intended to benefit you is given to another. You can access grace, yes, directly from the Lord through various means. And we will talk about that as we continue in the series. But there is a particular quality and quantum of grace that is vested within the apostolic, within apostles. So Paul, an apostle, said to the Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 2, Undoubtedly you have heard of the grace of God that was given to me for for you, Ephesians. Who is he? How do we interpret that verse? Well, it's simple. An apostle is speaking to a whole city. That city is comprised of multiple churches, Remember, the letters in the New Testament by Paul were not written to a local church like us. He's writing to Durban. He's writing to Ephesus. Within the city, there are multiple families or churches, each headed by what we call senior elders, who function as spiritual fathers over the house. Those individuals are connected to Paul as an apostolic resource. He writes and he says, there's a quantum and a quality of grace given to me for you. So to access the grace of God that I have for you, there needs to be some kind of what he said to the Philippian believers, participation in the grace. To the Philippians, and we, I want to read the text again because we've been reading Philippians 1 repetitively now for the past few Sundays. But he speaks in extremely intense and endearing terms to them. He talks how much he loves them. And he says, I always have you in my hearts. For from the first day of the commencement of his ministry in the gospel, he says, in both defense and confirmation of the gospel, you Philippians, he says this, have been participators in the grace of God given to, to me. So listen carefully. Unless you recognize it, because you can't participate in something you can't perceive. So perception of grace is prerequisite to your grabbing it. So 
Paul says, you Philippians, you grabbed or you stretched out and you saw something in me that you wanted for you. That grace of an apostle, and when I reference apostle, I speak of the apostolic as two things. Representative of and inclusive of the entirety of fivefold offices. So, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, when we reference the apostolic, we reference them as the first among the five, but incorporative of the five. Okay? So, there's something, there's, you see grace, and many people have such infantile understandings of grace. And we only see it as, when I sin, He is gracious. We only see it as, if I'm suffering, He's going to cause me, fill me with His grace to sustain me through my trial. And we will discuss that. That is all true. I'm not discounting that. But there's a whole area. Remember what we said. Grace is manifold, multifaceted. There's a whole uh, uh, array, if you would, of dimensions of grace the modern church has failed to tap into. I am presenting to you, because the grace of Christ, Ephesians 4, Paul said, you have heard of the measure of the grace of Christ's gift given to us. Ephesians 4, 7. And in 11 he said, and he gave some to be apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, etc. Fivefold, with apostles being first. And he said this, the grace of Christ given to five distinct grace gifts, and five is the number of, of grace, given to five distinct, distinct grace gifts, is for a very specific purpose. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. Right? For until we all come to the fullness of the measure of the stature that belongs to Christ. For the building of the body of itself up in, in love. Now, that is grace outcomes. But grace outcomes in reference to the accomplishment of all those objectives are given to persons called fivefold, apostles being first among them. So to access that resource, Ephesians 4 paints the, the, the picture of personal maturity and corporate maturity. Everyone say maturity. What we are focused upon now is we are saying, God, I need to grow up. I need to mature. I need the grace now. You see, brethren, I, I don't discount the fact that when you suffer, God will give you grace. Hmm? Aren't you glad for that? Yeah? He will give you grace. I am not uh, questioning the fact that when you sin as an act of His grace, He will be merciful to you and forgive you. But if that is all, you're going to be in reference to your total understanding of what grace does for you. You are staying at grace 101. But we are going to a higher order in grace. We want to access the grace of God that's designed for us to now mature. You can't be infantile all your life. You can't be a baby Christian all your life. Surely at some stage we have to grow up. Hey? Surely it's a... I, 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 was, I often... I heard Sam's teaching on suffering about 15 times now. I'm not joking. About 15 times. The same. I've heard five sessions about 15 times by, by yesterday. I heard the whole series again yesterday. And you know what he references? His little granddaughter. 
new granddaughter. You'll see on session one when you get the CD. And uh, she's hungry, she cries. She wets her pants, she cries. She's tired, she cries, he says. And she expects everyone in the house to jump and to pander to her whims. And he says the whole house is delightfully happy to do that. Why? She is a babe, right? But, she, but he says if she's 16 and she's still doing that, it's a huge problem. And then he jokingly says by the time she's 37, you hope she's gone by then. So there are, ex- there are certain behavioral patterns, behaviors that are, are attendant with certain stages of growth and maturity in God. Surely by now, if you claim to have served God as long as you are, you should exhibit a particular maturity by this stage in your journey in God. All I'm saying to you, brethren, if you access grace given to apostles, it will push you to mature. I can deal with the 37-year-old and confront, but I'll deal with the 37-year-old differently to how I deal with the 3-year-old. Right? It's amazing. The more you mature, God's dealings with you are more confrontational because now there's an expectation. He's still loving, but by virtue of how you've grown, He demands and expects of you certain responses. Amen? Maybe for that reason, maybe people would not like to mature. Because let me just say this, as you mature, to whom much is given, much is required. Amen? And so I want to encourage us, you know, I, I, I desire to mature. Are you with me? Say, so we must grow up. We can't stay in that stage forever. We must grow up. And I think apostolic grace is given with this specific aim to mature you in your walk with the Lord. And so what we've been talking about is this. I said to you, The context of love and honor. Everyone say love and honor. This context of love and honor between the grace carrier and the recipient of grace is absolutely a vital context for grace transfer to be facilitated effortlessly. I want to say it again. Please don't underestimate what I said just now. I want to reiterate it for emphasis. Publicly. If you study the scriptures, the context of love, the context of love between two persons, particularly if there is an apostolic father over a whole city dispensing grace to elders or spiritual fathers in that city, and those spiritual fathers in their respective households to their spiritual sons are going to be transmitters of that grace between all the the parties involved. There must be in Intense love and mutual honor. Everyone say intense love. Mutual honor. So the issue is the state of the heart. Because you cannot love if the state of your heart um, is not open in reference to these things. Okay. So the last verse in the Old Testament says, Malachi 4, 5 and 6. I will do what? I will turn the hearts of fathers to their sons and the hearts of sons to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, you may ask, and I re-ordered your notes that I gave out last week. 
and added chunks of information to certain parts of it, as you would no doubt, if you read it, would be aware of it. Because after we spoke on Sunday morning, I went home in the week, and I began to think about, because there were some things I said last week, which were given by inspiration of the Holy Ghost and not included in the notes. And I saw some things as we were speaking that I added to the note thereafter. Now, let me give you the overview. It's important for you to understand. Stand back and see the overview of what I'm trying to demonstrate and communicate to you. There's a spiritual father and a spiritual son. Grace flows most ideally within the father-son dyad or the father-son dynamic. Say it again. You must understand these things. Grace, designed to mature you, will flow to you most ideally between within the context of a father and son. That does not mean to say you will not be able to receive grace from one who is not your father. Because, no doubt, you would be able to. And you must. A good father will always bring into your world grace, expressions of Christ he perceives in others, and he will expose you to them. I love the way Pastor Thamo does this in reference to us. He will unearth a John Alley and bring him to the context. Why? Perceives that grace, there's a quality of grace there that this man has that will benefit the family. So they will come at different range of persons and they will impart grace. I, I don't discount that there's an absolute need for that. But as the basis to that process, you've got to position yourself in a relationship of a father and a son. Right? I want to be personal again because I'm talking to you as a father in the Lord. Today I'm not preaching, I'm talking to you. Tell your neighbor he's talking to us today. <laughs> We have a person, I think, in the stature of Paul. He's a global apostle. You can write a letter to Durban. He got many sons in the city, leading households. Like Paul wrote to the Corinthians and the Ephesians, he could write a letter to Durban. So we who are his elders over households will receive that and impart it to you, our, our sons in the Lord. Not so, right? By that process, we access apostolic grace. Right? Please remember this. When Paul said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6, or 15 and 16, he said, you have many what? Teachers. But you only have? Now think with me, brethren. Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to a whole city. Who will be the recipient of that letter? Talk to me. The elders leading households. Who is the father over everybody in Corinth? Paul. Think. We've taken that verse and we've domesticated it. But if you look at it clinically, accurately in reference to the scripture, Paul is saying, Corinthians, because there were problems in, that developed in the whole city with people being loyal to personalities. I'm of Paul, he said. I'm of Apostle. Someone saying, I'm of Peter, still another is saying, I don't need anybody, I'm of Christ. You know, there was whole scale division. So he comes in, listen carefully. You must understand how apostolic fathering works. Right? I am glad, as Paul was a father over Corinth, 
I think I believe our apostle to whom we relate could say the same to us. In context, I am a teacher in Durban. I'm one of the tutors. Paul to, to the Corinthians, you have many what? Teachers. What is the, one of the qualifications for eldership? He must be apt to teach. We've always looked and we've disparaged teachers whenever we quote that verse, not so? We've always looked at it negatively and we said, you have many teachers but one father. But who is saying that? Not the leader of a local church is saying that. An apostle is saying that in reference to a, a city. So the elder, listen carefully, and this is a long teaching. I don't want to go into the nitty gritty of it. I will encourage you to read We Believe, the book we wrote, and you'll get a concise explanation of all of these things. I want to encourage you. I am a senior elder over, over this house. Publicly, elders function in a fatherly disposition over the house. So I am, please don't uh, go away here confused. Don't go away saying, no, Ralph, he's saying he's not our father in the Lord. Listen carefully. I am your father in the Lord representatively of an apostolic grace that fathers you. I want to say it again. This is a, might be a, a, a quantum shift in your thinking. I am an elder over you, a spiritual father over you, but I'm representatively fathering you on behalf of another. Tell your neighbor, open your eyes to see. You know, that is why who received letters in the book of Revelation? Seven churches and each one had a letter. To whom was each letter addressed? The angel or the elder over the church. So the principle is whenever letters are addressed to churches, the elder or the angel over that community would receive it. Just like John was an apostle over that whole area of Asia Minor, and he wrote to seven cities, Ephesus, Smyrna, Laodicea, etc. And he wrote to each angel. Similarly, Paul would write in same fashion to Corinthians, to Ephesians, to Thessalonica, to the whole region of the province of Galatia. Okay? So it's important that you understand this. And the reasons why I'm saying this will be apparent as we continue the study. Critical is this understanding. You know why? If you don't understand how apostolic fathering works, you will disesteem it, discredit it, and even though you sit in this house under my leadership. If you discount the source from which the grace flows, you will sit here and grace passes you by because of a failure of understanding. This is why I would ask us all that whenever we host him here, make it your highest priority to be here. You know why now it's not just about faithfulness at a meeting. Now you understand, hey, the carrier of this resource designed to mature us is coming to visit. Amen? Tell your neighbor more faithfulness. Yes, yes, brethren. Yes, tell someone yes. Yes. Yes, come on, say someone yes. You know, I, I can teach high revelation here. I am giving you, I'm giving you a pin code to wealth. I'm giving you a key. If you don't believe me, try it out for one year and see what happens. You know, 
I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying not to be theologically argumentative and to present a case apologetically. I am saying, if you are still hold doubts, try it out and see, test the principle and see what will open in your life when this grace... You know, I can't get away from Ephesians 3 two. Those words of Paul, they ring loud in my ears. When he said to the Ephesians, undoubtedly, you have heard of the grace of God given to me, but for you. It's not going to come to you until you learn how to access me. Because I carry that grace. Amen? So, tell your neighbor, you, you, you must learn to love your apostolic father. I don't doubt. You know, Samson is writing a new book, As It Is on Earth, on Earth As It Is in Heaven. That's the title, On Earth As It Is in Heaven. John Alley, simultaneously, is writing his book on apostles and elders. Thamo, by coincidence, is teaching on the city of the living God and how it's constructed with fathers as gates and an apostolic wall around the city. God is bringing church to order. This is, this is, for me, is not coincidental in the mouth of two or three witnesses, people living globally, geographically, kilometers apart from each other, God saying the same thing to three witnesses globally. Surely the house of God is being established in its correct fashion. We're living in an awesome day. And some of these things might seem strange to you as I declare them now. But I'm telling you, already... We have a three-witness uh, expression of this in the whole earth. I'm telling you, brethren, when this house is built, with this mindset, we're going to see something vastly different that the earth has never, ever seen before. And, Elvis, you'll be successful. The, the grace in Thamonaidu needs to find its way in Elvis Ogil. Grace is given to him for? For you. You are now in a local household with me, who is his son in the Lord. Right? So I am positioned as a senior elder in your life to watch over your soul. The grace that I receive from him, I'm transferring to you. Do you know, do you remember the incident, for example, in Acts where Paul left Ephesus? How long did he stay there? Three years. Not so? Did Paul not stay at Ephesus for? Three years, yes? How long did he teach? Day and night, every day from, well, the Amplified Bible says, from 10 to 3 every day. Three years. Who did he teach? Not the whole city. He taught the elders. That's why the elders knelt and they cried when he, when he left. When Paul left, who did he put in charge of the whole, all the churches in, in Ephesus? Come on, talk to me. Some of you know? Timothy. Right? At one time he said to Timothy, Timothy, the things that I re- watch, the things I receive from Christ, I've committed to you. You entrust the same to, uh, to faithful men, elders of our households, who will teach others also. It's amazing how all the scriptures make sense. Hey, telling up this is making sense. Right? I want to say it again. Paul said to Timothy, things you've received from me, commit them, Timothy, to faithful men 
who will be able to teach others also. Okay, we went way off the topic here. <laughs> but I think it's, it's important. So listen carefully. Wherever you are positioned, make sure to receive this grace. You have an, an open heart of love. Amen? An open heart of love, honor, and esteem. Now, I said to you, just to, just to reiterate, and then I want to focus on, just for half an hour or so, on today's emphasis. How is a son meant to develop a turned heart? Everyone say a turned heart. Because the prophecy in Malachi is, I will turn the hearts of fathers to their sons. And I will turn the hearts of sons to their fathers. The expectation of the Lord today is that many relate in the father-son dynamic as a father and or a son. For example, I'm your father in the Lord, but I'm also a son in reference to another. I've got to have a turned heart in my relationship with my apostolic father. But as a father who fathers others, I also have a turned heart in my relationship with other sons. But the sons in this context need to have a turned heart towards me. Right? So if your heart is not turned to me, it's turned away from me. There needs to be a turning towards. Everyone do this. So, turning towards. I've decided to turn towards my spiritual father in far greater fashion than I have presently. I guard my heart from becoming so familiar that you start to lose respect and appreciation for what he represents in your world. Amen. You know, familiarity neutralizes grace. If you equalize someone on the same level of, as you, you neutralize what that person has grace designed to benefit you. Right? Always esteem. Okay? So just in, in summary, how, how, how can we develop this turned heart? How, how do we do that? Number one, respond to the turned heart in your father. Respond to the turned heart of love in your father. And we dealt with this. I don't want to go through it again. Sons must love a father who loves. Your turning can be activated by a heart in your father that's already turned toward you. Amen. And I will say this on Renee's behalf. Our heart is wide open. You've read the text. Our heart is turned. I've turned and God has dealt with us. We've turned fully toward you. Secondly, turn to see the voice within the voice. Remember we dealt with this? Regard that when the person speaks, it's not him, it's actually the voice of God in and through him. Thirdly, recognize and be profoundly aware of the grace of God in your spiritual father. You, you, this you must note. Recognize the grace. Be profoundly aware of it. Fourth is where we left off last week. Honor. Everyone say honor. Honor the grace of God in your spiritual father. And then fifthly, which I want to speak about briefly now, maintain an enduring disposition of intense love for your spiritual father within your heart. Maintain. Note, I use the words deliberately, an enduring 
abiding. It's not fleeting. It's not now and then. It's all the time. An enduring, abiding, consistent disposition of intense love for your, your spiritual father or oversight in the Lord. Amen? And you know, brethren, whatever has happened in you that is preventing you from opening your heart, I want to encourage you, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost, let's deal with it. Let's confront it. So that you unreservedly, almost with total abandon, can engage this process. Can, can, I've, I've given my father absolute liberty to correct, to rebuke, to speak, to caution me if he sees something or hears something. It's total liberty. I will not even become offended in the least because I know your heart. Amen? Now, it's important. Tell you never know the heart. Do you know if you receive correction and you become offended and you don't deal with the offense, what does the offense do? It starts to restrict the heart and close the heart. And when the heart is restricted, grace cannot reach you because now you're questioning motive, you're questioning accuracy. But I want to encourage you, all true fathers, when they correct, do not correct to embarrass or to um, reduce the son in value. True discipline is always redemptive. And true discipline is always with a view to restore. True discipline is always reflective of an internal heart of great love. For whom the Lord loves, he, he chastises. So the act of chastisement is an expression of love. Uh, Matthew put a picture of my father on his Facebook wall yesterday. So I copied it and I sent it to my brothers and I got a WhatsApp group chat, my natural brothers. So I put their dad, I sent it to them, dad, exclamation mark, the legend. And uh, one of my brothers, Eden, is very emotional, very moving and I was just had a moment, it was early this morning, like half past four or five o'clock this morning. I was praying. I said, I must send this to my brothers before I do anything here in the office. And then I recall an incident where my father hit me. I was at least, I think, 10 years old or so. And he cautioned us to be quiet. My nephew, Stephen, and I were, were making a racket of a noise. And my mom was out, there was no one in the home, and he wanted to sleep. It was late in the evening. And he warned us several times, you guys better tone it down. And then he came and he administered grace. <laughs> Fivefold ministry of a different kind. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it was the only hiding I ever got from him in my entire life. The first and only time he had the need to raise his hand against me. It was just one Clout, one, one clout. But from the hands of a, of a bricklayer, <laughs> and one who works with dagger every day and bricks, you know those hands are like rock hard. And I went from one end of the kitchen to the other end of the kitchen. I, review, I recall vividly, I recall going to my room and crying my heart out until my mother came home. Right? But the one clout put me right forever. <laughs> Never have I ever had the need to be disciplined in that fashion again. Next time he spoke, yes, boss. 
Yes, Dad. Now, I looked at his picture today, and I thought, wow, this man was such a great man in my eyes. But I want to encourage you, I will never allow discipline meted out, even though sometimes you don't understand the discipline, to affect your view of the one who disciplines. I want to encourage you. Remember Lot? What does Lot mean? Veiled, covered, and myrrh. Remember I told you? Myrrh. What is myrrh? Indicative of bitterness. So Lot is veiled. Yes, Abram, exalted father. Lot can't see the fathering nature in one positioned in his life to impart grace to him. So what does Lot do? Lot's blindedness is because of a bitter heart. Bitterness blinds you to what's right in front of you. So I pray that Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one comes short of what? Of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness suddenly springs up in you. And I pray this morning, church, that your heart becomes healed of any residual bitterness you have in your heart. Some of you might be sitting here and maybe you have, you have, you have a residual hurt you've been carrying from being hurt by a previous authoritarian figure in your life. Some of you are sitting here and you might be hurt by your biological father and the representation of fathering he has demonstrated to you in your natural life. And now you are struggling to open your heart to spiritual fathering because all you've known in reference to fathering maybe was an abusive father or an absent father or a father that failed to express love, a father that was unexpressive, unsacrificial, a father that wasn't um, too concerned about your destiny and how it will be developed. And so you come into the kingdom you know, you're saved, your spirit is saved, but in the soul, there's God needs to unearth all of these residual things because these things serve as the veil, the myrrh, the bitterness in your heart serves as the veil over your sight. And you fail to see or perceive grace when it comes into your world. I'm amazed of how people are healed in the soul. When they are delivered, it's amazing how perspective opens up. And they see what's right in front of them. Okay? So I want to encourage you to, to do this. I want to now just quickly and all over the place now. But for the sake of time, I want to look at the Corinthian, the Corinthian case study. Much else we could look at here, but let's just focus on this. If we can just get the text ready. It's 2 Corinthians, the text we've read now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse 11. Paul founded the, the, the whole church at Corinth. He spent 18 months with them, which is a, a year and a half, upon the founding of these communities, households of faith within the whole city. And for 18 months, he was personally involved with the establishment of the work, etc., after 18 months, he left uh, on other apostolic missions. Apollos and others, like Peter, also would come in after him and were instrumental in building the church up and, and other apostles. What happened is, in that interim period, 
as a father, he would still write to them because there was serious divisions in the church. Some say, I am of Paul. He would write in his first letter. How be it I hear, he says, that you are still carnal. And he says, he defined carnality when you have a divisive heart. He says, you are still carnal. You are yet in your sins. You are mere men. For how is it that one says, I'm I'm Apollos. One says, I'm Paul. Still, some of you say, I'm with Peter. And yet there's a whole group that says, I don't need human officiation. I don't need human representation of fathering. I'm with Christ. So he says, is Christ divided? He asked, did Paul die for you? Did Apollos die for you? He said, I watered, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? But he says, it's God who gave the increase. He makes statements like this. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Are we not mere laborers, fellow laborers, together with Christ? And so he brings a Christ centrality a Christ perspective back to the Corinthian context. Okay? And he deals with the potential division within the church. Apart from that, there were serious moral issues of a sensual nature that the whole city was given to. Not because of anything, by virtue of their context. Corinth was an extremely uh, perverse town. Extremely perverse. And the, this church was in this 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 this. Um, this milieu of filth, as it were. Okay? So he, had, he strongly corrects some tendencies the church was permitting within their ranks. Right? You know the context. I want to go to the details now. It would seem, though, listen carefully, that some of the Corinthians picked up offense and they discounted Paul's claim to apostolic fathering over them. Right? That's why there's a need for him to say, though you have many teachers, you have one Father in the Lord. Apart from that, a false apostolic expression hit the city. At Paul's departure, false apostles crept in. The effect on the Corinthians was so damaging in terms of their respect for Paul. Most of them did not even believe he was a credible apostle called by God in any case. In both books, He has the need to defend his apostleship. He says, if others are apostles, for example, he says, I indeed the more, for you are the seal of my apostleship in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 or 11, I think it is, he goes at pains to defend the fact that he is an apostle called by God. What was happening here, church? Listen carefully. What was happening? There was an inability to receive correction in some. In some hearts, they opened their hearts to the influence of a false stream of truth by false apostles. That had the effect on the Corinthians of doing what to their hearts? In reference to Paul. So I close my heart in reference to you because now my heart is open to others. Right? And he writes to correct the situation. So when I'm saying all of that, that's the context to how you must read this. So what does he say in verse 11? Our mouth, he says... O Corinthians, you know, I like how he speaks. Eh? This is like a real cry of his heart. When someone says, oh, oh, brethren, oh, Corinthians, he says, my heart, my mouth has spoken to you freely. My heart is what? Our heart, he speaks in reference to Timothy as well. He says, our heart is 
wide open. The word open here means to enlarge or to make big. Right? And in the next verse, in the next verse, he says this. You are not restrained or restricted by us, but you are restricted or restrained in your own hearts or in your own affections. He's saying, my mouth speaks freely because my heart is open. How is grace transferred to you? How is grace? Through words. Paul is saying, my mouth is open to impart grace by the culture of words. I do that from an open heart. You, the recipients, are there with your heart completely, what? Closed off. But you cannot receive what I intend to impart to you with a closed heart. So in the next verse, what does he literally instruct them to do? Now in like exchange, I speak to you as children or my sons in God. Technon, the word technon, he's, he's talking legally, you're my sons, as it were. Open wide to us also. Right? He's saying open as wide to us, as wide is as my heart is open to, to you. Open as wide to us, as wide as my heart is open to you. Everyone say open. Open. Open your heart, okay? Open your heart. Now, it's amazing. Listen carefully. What I want to encourage you, because this I've sensed strongly uh, within this context. As we said last week, do not allow somebody else's dishonor of a spiritual father to subtly influence you, your position. Remember last week we spoke about Abigail. Abigail did not allow Nabal's dishonor of David to be her disposition. Okay? Now, in reference to this, I want to read a scripture. The scripture is Matthew 7 and verse 6, the latter part of it. Matthew 7 and verse 6. And I want to explain this. And I need you to listen intently. You must catch this. Must catch this in your spirit. Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw away your pearls before swine. Or they, which, who's they here? Yeah? The, the swine, the pigs. They will do what? They will trample them under their feet. And turn and do what to you? Tear you to pieces. It's a very serious verse, this. Right? Now, just watch, just watch this. In Revelation 21, I've explained this to you previously. The city of God is described as a city with great and high walls. The walls had 12 foundations, which are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So the walls are symbolic of what? The apostolic. Not so? Inclusive and representative of all fivefold ministry, as I've said. So what is the protective God over the city? Apostles and other ascension gift ministries. What do walls do? Come on, talk to me. What do walls do? Protect. Walls protect. But the entrance into the city is not via the walls. Entrance into the city is through the gates. Not so? In the Old Testament, you would enter through a gate. 
So in Revelation 21, listen carefully, the gate is described as a pearl. The gates, it says, are patriarchal fathers. In their context, over the 12 tribes of Israel. We interpret that to be, gates represent the fathering principle. Everyone say the fathering principle. Right? What do gates do? They give you access, not so? So how do you come in? You come in by relating to and submitting your life to the, the word of a spiritual father. But do you know, it goes on to say this, and I'm summarizing, you must go and read the details on your own. It says further, and each gate was a pearl. Each gate was a pearl. So, question, is your spiritual father a pearl? Yes. And when you found your pearl of great price, there's no sacrifice that you will make to own the pearl. The Bible says a man... A parable of a man uh, finding a pearl of great price. When he finds it, he sells whatever he has to obtain the, the pearl. Um, why is the imagery of pearl used, by the way? Are pearls precious, valuable? Yes? Yes. So, do pigs know the value of a pearl? So, what does it say? Don't take your pearl and throw your pearl before who? Before pigs, because what do pigs do to pearls? Trample the pearl. I interpret that now to be, there are many interpretations of that verse. One of the applications is this. Don't take your father in the Lord with a pearl and a gate, granting you access to life and immunity in the environment of God's city. And by disesteem and dishonor, permit others to trample on him or her. Right? You don't cast your pearl before those that don't know the, its value. Let me just say this. Not everybody knows the value of fathering. Not everybody knows how precious, how rare, how, sac how sacred that relationship is. So never ever permit in conversation, in attitude or behavior, never ever permit your pearl to be trampled underfoot by swine that do not appreciate his or her value. You know why you mustn't do that? Because, put the verse up again, it's not just a matter of it being non-kosher. Because when they trample the pearl under your feet, they turn and they tear you. By your permitting that, you expose yourself because little do you know that principle represents a covering mechanism, a protective hedge round about you. And if you permit the pearl and the wall specifically to be trampled underfoot, you are breaking down your own walls. You are burning down your own gates. And if you burn down your own gates, the Bible says you make your own self vulnerable. You know, I've never, you know, who alerted me to the Salvin, Pakari, this particular truth? We were talking, and even it was a moment that God just opened our, our sight to it. He said, wow, this is what the scripture is really talking about. Amen? So I want to encourage you, tell your neighbor, value your pearl. Value your pearl. Right? Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. What did Jesus say? How I wanted to do what? Gather you. 
as chicks under her wings. But you would not have it. See now your house is left to you, desolate. I will not come to you again. You will not see my face again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the in the name of the Lord. Okay? In the name of the Lord. Now, quickly, let's put up Second Corinthians chapter six from verse fourteen onwards. I'm going to read it for the sake of the tape, although for you not read it. But just the latter part of that passage, and I want to draw um, your attention to a particular thing that you have got to be very, very aware of. Immediately after he says, my heart is open, your hearts are closed. Then he, he commands them in like fashion. Now I speak to you as a father. He says, open wide to us. Then he says, do not be bound together with who? Remember I told you Corinth was this milieu of, of wickedness and perverse. So Paul writes to them and he says, watch, watch that, that, that influence in the city doesn't get into you, O Corinthians. So he says, do not be unequally yoked or bound together with unbelievers. What partnerships have? Righteousness with lawlessness. What fellowship has light with? Darkness. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Belial is an appellation of Satan. means wickedness. Or what has a believer in common with the unbeliever? Then he says this. What agreement has the temple of God with the temple of idols? Corinth was given over to the worship of idols. For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. Watch what he says. I will be what to you? Come on, say it louder. I will be what to you? What is God saying to Corinth? God is saying, I want to be a father to you, Corinthians. But I need you to separate yourself from the wicked culture of the city, that culture that's trying to invade you. You'll never ever find intimacy with Father if you entertain in your heart a pursuit toward wickedness, expressions of disobedience, or acts you know are so contradictory to the nature of Father. Right? Now, let me give an example of this. Remember Lot separated from Abraham. He could not see what Abraham represented. Not so? What was the first act of Lot after the separation that the scripture says about him? What happens, in other words, to a son when he disconnects from authentic fathering grace? What is the potential? This is not the case for all people. What is the potential reason? What does the son have liberty to do then? The Bible says, and Lot positioned his tent where? Towards Sodom. What is Sodom? Perversion. Wickedness. Right? By the time God is intending on destroying the city, and he warns, he sends angels to warn Lot, God's merciful. He still sends angels to warn Lot to get out of the city. Where is Lot sitting? By that time, Lot is sitting, the Bible says, and Lot was sitting in the gates of the city. Question, who sits in gates of cities? Elders. 
Can we therefore conclude, by the time God had intended to destroy Sodom, he who was positioned towards it became a leader in it. If you are positioned towards something, that thing swallows you into its culture. Tell your neighbor, don't position yourself to the wrong thing. This is a strong warning. Listen carefully. I feel the, the Holy Spirit here this morning. This is a strong warning to some. The thing that you entertain will consume your life. When God is warning you to not position yourself toward it. Peter comments about Lot and says, Lot's soul was tormented by the wicked and lawless deeds of the men of Sodom. And his lawless, his righteous soul was tormented by the things he heard and the things he saw in Sodom. Right? While Lot, you know, there's no evidence that Lot participated in their deeds. All Peter says, Peter in the New Testament says, Lot's soul was what? Vexed or tormented by the things he saw and the things he heard. There was sexual perversion of the highest order in that context. And he became a leader in the city. But here's the deal. He was disempowered to change the culture. When you disconnect from authentic fathering, even if by whatever means you are raised to lead the environment in which you are now located, you will be powerless to influence the culture. If gates represent authority, which they do, and you're sitting in the gates, I think more the reference is, it's not that you have influence over the city, is that that spirit in the city is now of authority over you. And what did he do when the angels came to warn him. He went to his two sons-in-law, remember? And he warned them to get out of the city. But the Bible says it seemed to them as though Lot was joking. Hey, you see, you lose power, you lose authority, even when God has to use you to warn others. All I'm saying is, brethren, do not underestimate the power of an apostolic fathering grace in your life to empower you to overcome fleshly pursuits. I think the, this was the Corinthian problem. Why would Paul say, open to us? And then by the Holy Ghost, immediately he says, oh, by the way, Corinthians, be separate from your culture because you're participating in a culture that is closing your heart to me. Can you see it? Right? True apostolic fathering will empower you to overcome even the most vicious inclination in your heart to the flesh. I'm going to say it again. You know, we use, I like the word proclivity. Tendency, inclination towards. You're tending, you're leaning, you have a proclivity towards something. Uh, Lot, what did Lot do? He had a proclivity towards Sodom. Okay? A tendency, an inclination to position himself towards and the thing he entertained consumed him. Little did he know, listen carefully, the grace of God vested in Abraham was so powerful, it would have caused him to say no to that temptation. Where did Abraham position himself immediately after Lot separated from him? The Bible says, and, and Abraham went down to Hebron. 
and there he abided. The next chapter, the coalition of four Persian Assyrian kings ran rampage over the whole territory. Sodom, Gomorrah, and at least 12 other cities are all overtaken. And they're taken as slaves. Remember? There were only two cities. Just watch. I'm talking by the Holy Ghost. Listen very carefully. There were only two recorded cities in the whole of the then known Palestine that were immune to the threat of Chedorlaomer and his alliance of, of kings. The one was Hebron and the other was Jerusalem. Salem. Who was in Jerusalem? Talk to me. Melchizedek. What is Melchizedek? He's representative of an apostolic father in grace. Abraham, which means exalted father, he's living in Hebron. The word Hebron means covenant, conjugal relationships, alliance. Two cities untouched. Remember? Oh, by the way, did did Abraham, on hearing that Lot is taken captive, did Abraham try to go rescue the man? Yes. You see, love. A father will always be a father, even though others do not see him as the son. Lot could not see him as himself as, as Abraham's son. That didn't stop Abraham from being the father. You are a father, period. You know, you can't switch fathering on and switch fathering off. It's who you are. So you are fathered even to, to all people. And I will father anybody, even those who are not my sons. I will express that nature. And Abraham demonstrates his principle so powerfully. Puts everything on pause, his own life, to rescue one that doesn't see who he is. Rescues the brother. You know, Lot, couldn't then you wake up and say, this man has risks. How can you not see now? Are you still so? You know what? The culture of Sodom now has so veiled you even more. You can't see one man, 380, with three brothers who are in alliance with him, you overthrow a coalition of four mighty Persian empires. Hey, if any person with a little bit of common sense would have surmised, God has got to be with this man. I foolishly disconnected, but now what do I see? By that stage, he should have. The light should have. But what happens? The pull of Sodom is so strong, it still blinds him to what? Abraham represents. Still blinds him to what Abraham represents. When Abraham came back with the booty from the war, who did Abraham seek out to honor him? Melchizedek. You know, to, to equate the, the incident with what we're talking about, I think Melchizedek, a priest of God most high, was like an apostolic fathering figure over cities. Anybody in any city, whether you're an Abraham in Hebron, if any man in any city would have recognized that grace, that grace brought immunity to them. You know what, you know what Abraham, what Melchizedek said to Abraham when Abraham paid tithes to him? Melchizedek said to him, he blessed Abraham, and Melchizedek said, Blessed be God most high. Or blessed be Abraham of God most high, to correctly state it. Blessed be Abraham of God Most High. And blessed be God Most High who has given you victory of all your enemies. That was said by the apostolic fathering figure. Listen carefully. I confer, I want to say to all of you today, 
I've never prayed more strongly recently like I've prayed for the church, for people individually. I pray for protection. I pray for immunity. I pray that you'd be safe in all respects. You would not be ravaged. You would not lose. No fear, no loss. Things will go very well with you, as we've been saying. Not so? Things will go very well with you. But I want to alert you to this, brethren. God, by sovereign design, has already rigged up a defense mechanism over us. All we must do is regard that. You see the Corinthians, Paul says to them, Corinth's lure, like Sodom's lure over Lot, is so strong in your world. Oh, Corinthians, be separate from any idol, any idolatrous temple, unbelievers. Come and separate yourself from fleshly pursuits because you recognize that thing is restricting you in your heart in reference to the grace that God has graciously given me for you, O Corinthians. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to close with this. This is what he says to them. He spoke at length. Just the first five verses. Now watch, you'll see all of this come together. Now brethren, I want to make known to you, or we wish to make known to you, what? The grace of God, which has been where? Given to the church, or the churches of Macedonia. Please note, he says, talking to the Corinthians, Hey, Corinth, guys in the city, now, as I write to you, I want to alert you to grace that is working in a whole province of Macedonia. Let's compare what's happening in province, uh, in Corinth with Macedonia. Right? Uh, everyone say, Macedonia has grace. Paul is recognizing this. Hey, grace is working. I want Durban to be so grace-laced, laced with grace. Right? You know, I'm trusting God when people walk into my home at 33 Watsonia Road. Even the environment, even my yard, my garden, that flower when you see it, it must say grace. I want my context. Grace must just drip everywhere in your work. People must say this is a place of grace because a person of real grace is standing here. Paul is saying grace of a whole province. Hey? I like that thought, not so? And then he says in verse 2, watch, in great ordeal of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Mouthful, eh? <laughs> He's saying these people are extremely poor but extremely generous. And it doesn't add up. So poor but so giving. And he records it, and they're suffering, tremendous suffering, poor people, yet giving beyond measure. Define their context. Grace will cause you to live above your circumstances. You'll override what you are presently experiencing. Verse 3. For I testify that according to the ability and beyond the ability, they gave according to their own accord. I'll speak in reference to this at a later session. How does one give beyond what you are able to give? Grace. Talk about that. But verse 4 is where I really want to go in verse 5. Watch. Begging us, these Macedonians, begging us with much urging for the favor of the participation in the support of the saints. Watch. 
And this not only as we expected. These guys went beyond Paul's expectation. But here's the deal. They gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. How many of you here have given your hearts to the Lord? Let me see your hands. Verses like this, some people want to edit out of their Bibles. Because it, 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 it puts a challenge on their hearts. How can someone, watch, I want to point the words out. How can someone first, everyone say first. First give themselves to the Lord. And secondarily, and to us. People, no problem. I've given my heart to the Lord. Then our next question. But have you given yourself to the representation of the Lord in your life? Have you given yourself to the apostolic fathering figure that He has placed there? Why does grace flow effortlessly in Macedonia? The Macedonians got the pin code right. They said, we're not going to close our hearts. I give my heart to my spiritual father. I'm not being blasphemous. Neither am I being irreverent. I'm being biblical. I would say three things to you. Is your heart turned? Because you've got to have a turned heart. Is your heart opened? And is your heart given? We can sing to the Lord, Lord, I give you my heart. That is true, and he'll always, that must always be in place. But there's a place in the economy of God where literally you have to give yourself over to another. How do you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior? Question. You give your heart to him, not so? For as many as received him, to them gave you what? I want to say three things to you. Watch. As many as received Christ, to them gave he power to be called what? What did Jesus say? Whoever receives the one I send, receives me. There's not only one reception. There's an initial reception of Christ for salvation. But there are continual receptions of Christ by the ones he sends to you for grace maturation. What did, Paul, what did Paul say to the Galatians? Galatians 4. When I came among you, you received me as Christ. Hey, is it biblical? Yes. Yes. Open your hearts. I never want to be in any meeting with a closed heart. I don't want to entertain any uh, opinion in the mind where dishonor or I'm questioning but I want grace transfer to be maximized. Brethren, I want to encourage you as we close. Listen carefully. The Macedonians were poor. The Macedonians suffered more than any other church in the New Testament. Paul writes, but he says, okay, I'm trying to encourage them. Writing to Corinth, problematic city here. And he says, O Corinthians, I want you to be made known of the grace of God the Macedonians are flowing in. And he gives a key. He says they first gave their hearts to the Lord. And secondly, they gave their hearts to, to us. I want to appeal to us all today. Hold nothing back in your heart. I speak to you as a father in Christ. Hold nothing back in your heart. You might have had disappointments in the past. 
you might not understand all of my mannerisms. Because I have some mannerisms. Not easy to understand sometimes. You might not fully comprehend and perceive all that's attendant with the will of the Lord for my life. But all I'm asking you, by virtue of what we've read today, have a turned heart. Have an open heart. Have a given heart. Because Paul says, it was not in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, it wasn't only our good pleasure to minister the gospel to you, but to give you our very own souls. For you, Corinthians, have become very dear to us. Today, I'm taking my time to do this. So I want you to leave here thoughtfully. God is setting the house in order. Yes? By the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to say to us all, there is grace coming to your house. There is grace coming to your life. Such that, as suffered and as bereft in poverty as the Macedonians were, they surmounted all of that and went beyond a natural ability that they had to respond. It was all conditional upon an open heart. I want to say to us all now, I'm trusting God for my own life, for, for these things. I'm saying, God, it must be said of me by others who see it in me. They must say to others, oh, by the way, have you noticed the grace of God in Randolph? How that despite X, Y, Z, he's going beyond simply because of grace. And when they factor the reasons in, they must say, see how he's given his heart to the Lord. See how he's given to his Father. See how he's given to God. But secondly, and, there must be an end. See how he's given himself to his apostolic Father. Hearts are given to two dimensions. And maybe somebody sitting here, I'm talking about you giving your heart to spiritual fathering, but you're not even given completely over to the Lord yet. You can't put the cart before the horse. Eh? Can't. In fact, I believe this. If you are truly given over to the Lord, you have no problems opening your heart to the representation. Wherever I send to you and you receive, Jesus said you receive me in the one that I send to you. Who is ready for Macedonian grace? Eh? Who desires this? I want this. I'm saying, God, never ever will I restrict my heart. The culture of love. You must love God, you must love your spiritual father, but you must also love one, one another. The culture of love and honor must thrive in the house of God. The oikonomia, the dispensation of grace. Grace dispensed in and through a house. But listen carefully, you can never have a house of honor until hearts of honor in the house are raised. Amen? Hearts, hearts collectively of honor will generate the house of honor in God. Amen. Put away your books. We're doing very well for time this morning. Close your Bibles. I'm going to pray an apostolic impartation of grace to us all. You might not understand everything. 
But at least say, God, I receive the principle. I receive the principle. Like Paul said to the Corinthians, when Fiona read it, we've taken advantage of no one. He said, we did not use your context for our personal gain. He was very clear in his credentials. He said, we were people of righteousness and integrity and holiness among you. He says, on that basis, now I appeal to you, be open to us. Everyone look at me. Our heart is not for ourselves. We want to serve to benefit you. So we're asking for everyone to open your hearts. To as much as you've given your heart to the Lord. To give your heart to the representation of the Lord. And, I, and you know, that's a matter of the Holy Spirit. I can't administrate that. That must take place internally within your heart. I assume it's done already. Tell your neighbor it's done already. It's done already. I don't want to make a show of anybody. I, you know, I'm at the place now, in, in the moment I hear something, I say, yes, it's done. <laughs> I'm already for an altar call, it's done. I bow, it's done. Everyone say, it's done. Yes, it's done. Now I'm going to pray a prayer for you all with the impartation and the manifestation of this grace in your lives by virtue of your open heart position. Amen. Lift your hands to him. Let's do this seriously. You know, I don't want to just close the service. I know what we are dealing with is of the Lord. Dear Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace in our lives. Take the time to look to you even now. Thank you for your great love for everyone of the members of the family in this congregation. I thank you, righteous Father, that you love each of us equally. And your heart toward us is strong, strongly poised to bless us, strongly poised to draw us into intimacy of relationship with you. You desire us to be sons. We read in your word a moment ago, Father, in Corinthians, that you said when we separate ourselves from the world, then you would be a father to us. We would find an expression of sonship and intimacy with you that we've never known before. To this we want to respond. Forgive our fleshly pursuit. Forgive us where the proclivity towards disobedience was so strong that it blinded our eyes to see the representation of your nature, of your fathering, that was positioned within our lives. We esteem highly your word. We regard what you have said to us. And for this we are indeed so grateful. Now I ask on behalf of all of us here present, enlarge our hearts. David said in your word that he will run in your commandments when you have enlarged his heart. I speak now to a running in the commandments and the will of the Lord because of the enlargement that now takes place within the heart. We ask that you would swell the heart, pulsate within the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit even now. Turn hearts, open them, and may they be given to you and to your representation in far greater measure than we've ever had experienced before. Now, Father, I pray for impartation. I pray in every life, in every home, 
in every child's life, in every family, there will be overt displays of the grace of God present and at work in all of our lives. We yearn for these things and we seek them diligently. I ask, O God, that your name be glorified in all that you are going to do in and through us, your church, your body. We commend ourselves to your grace. The word of your grace that is able to build us up and to grant to us the inheritance amongst all the saints that are sanctified in you. Never from today, Father, never ever let there be restrictions and closure in any heart, I pray. I pray at no stage will anyone's heart be closed up, be frustrated, and close the grace of God in any person's life. I now prophesy us over us all that in the midst of great suffering will be great grace. In the midst of great turmoil will be great grace. In the midst of poverty will be great grace. In the midst of weakness will be great grace. In the midst of attack, a wall is rigged up over you to protect you from every dart of the enemy. I declare over you, you are immunized. You are well guarded. You are well protected. I declare over you, it will be well with you, your spouse, your children, your workplace, and your business. I decree that the grace of the Father, the Son, and the seven spirits of God will be abundantly displayed within your life. Nothing untoward will ever befall you. And if by divine permission it does, the intent of the Lord will be sufficiently accomplished because He will give the attendant grace to sustain you and to see you through. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. Everyone say, I receive. I receive. I receive.